today, more fallout from the coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, the Andrew Cuomo nursing home scandal worsens and Joe Biden's racism is showing. We've got a lot coming up on this Friday and it starts right now. Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, today joined once again by the one and only Steve Dace of The Steve Dace Show that can also be seen on Blaze TV, uh, along with wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for being here again. You bet. And uh, also Blaze TV contributors, Josh Hammer and Eric July. Thanks for being here as well on this lovely Friday where I am just dying to talk about coronavirus again because I feel like we never really cover it. What is that again? News. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. this new thing. We'll get into it. But, it's uh, a novel coronavirus. <laughs> it's, huh? it's novel. Yeah, okay. I'm hey. <laughs> I'm here all week trying to veal. My bad. All right, uh, so a couple different things um, I want to get into first, which is President Trump has come out and said uh, we are not going to close the country even if there is a second wave of COVID-19, um, which I think is, I mean, I'm optimistic about his comments. I think that they were strong. And, uh, you know, this is in the face of some of the experts who have already come out and said, hey, by the way, you know, winter rolls back around. Much like the flu, the seasonal flu, uh, you know, winter rolls around. We may be looking at this again. Um, so I, I want to get, gentlemen, your thoughts on that. But I also want to throw into the mix uh, the fact that at the same time that President Trump is saying this, we've also got... Um, more data to suggest that these lockdowns were a complete failure. Doctors and nurses at the John uh, Moore Medical Center in Walnut Creek in California now say that during the duration of this whole quarantine that they have seen more deaths from suicide than from the coronavirus. And they and they have even said the numbers are unprecedented. We've never seen numbers like this in such a short period of time. We've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. And then, of course, they are urging for these stay-at-home orders to be lifted. Uh, and again, another uh, reminder of the goalpost shifting. Uh, one of the doctors said, I think originally the shelter-in-place was put in place to flatten the curve, remember that term, and to make sure hospitals have the resources to take care of COVID patients. We have the current resources to do that, and our other community health is suffering. Um, Steve, it's almost like there's another component to the health of a person rather than whether or not you are going to die from a particular virus. And, and consider, guys, we haven't even gotten to the part of the story yet where we're going to find more dead old people alone in their homes mm -hmm. who never went to the hospital to get treated. Mm -hmm. We're going to get that on the back end of this, too. So I was on here yesterday railing about how bad the CDC is, yeah. how bad its data is, and, and why Redfield should be fired. And why I told a group of conservative insiders in a presentation this morning they should tell the White House this. And yesterday, or today now, now, he's, now they're giving us the data that they have not been giving us all along. And if you run the numbers on their data, they're, now they're saying we've gone from Anthony Fauci's 10 times worse than the flu to four times. Except their data doesn't include any of the seroprevalency testing that's been done around the country. No antibody testing. And, the, no, and no antibody testing has included children. So even removing one-fifth of the U.S. population, if you add those numbers in, you're actually down to an infection rate and case fatality rate right around what the really bad flu season of 2018 was. And, and You're what, not allowed to say that. I, it, well, that, but that's the math. <laughs> that, that, and the math was there and that data was there all along. Mm -hmm. It's why I think the president is right. There will not be another shutdown, at least not from, from COVID-19. Right. Uh, I, I think people have recognized that this was a failure. 
And the reason that it was that it went on uh, longer than it did had nothing to do with hospitalizations and everything to do with things not to do with the virus. And it's going to go down as the worst management decision ever made in American history. And given all the other countries that did it, maybe all of human history. Yeah. Josh, what do you think? Well, well, I'm not sure how, how I top worst management decision in all of human history, honestly. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even necessarily disagree, frankly. I mean, uh, you, you know, we, Sarah, we've talked for a long time. I was kind of hesitant to get to where I am today. At the, very, at the beginning, I was very much like an error on the side of caution mm-hmm. kind of guy. I, I said the same thing on your show, I think, Steve, mm-hmm. back in, in mid-March or whatever. That, that made a lot of Steve, Steve and I were trying to pull you over to the dark side. <laughs> that, I mean, that made a lot of sense to me at the time. We didn't know anything about this virus. We frankly still don't know a lot about this virus, but we are getting enough data, and I, we, we should be intellectually honest enough with ourselves to basically sit here today in mid to late May, I guess it's late May, it's Memorial Day weekend, happy holidays everyone, Um, and basically say we have enough data at this point to be able to reasonably conclude that we dramatically overreacted and it's not too late to begin to shift course. It's, we're getting there, okay? The president, I mean, like the swing state polling is looking pretty good overall, but the head-to-head polling obviously is not particularly good right now. But it's never too late to change course, rhetorically, substantively. I mean, I am encouraged by what we just heard about him not vowing to not shut everything down again were this second wave to hit. But, you know, the suicide thing, that's just so depressing. And, like, it was so facially obvious to me from day one. I mean, I remember even when I was, like, on team airing on the side of caution, I remember all the sorts of private conversations I was having with friends saying, why is no one talking about all the mental health aspects right. of this? Depression, right. suicide, um, ch- children's health. I mean, like, that's a huge part of this, too. When you take children out of school, you're depriving them of a huge formative experience on, on their way, on, on, you know, it's a rite of passage unto adulthood. Um, well, no. especially children who don't know any different, right? They've lived their whole lives being socialized with other kids, and right. that is a, a huge component of their life. And then to just snatch that away from them without them understanding the reason or rhyme behind it is just, I mean, it's its downright despicable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not like we, we can claim ignorance on this. There's it, there's so much data over the course of the past 100, 150 years. Whenever there are economic downturns, there's always a spike in mental health. Mm-hmm. Suicide, mm-hmm. depression always goes up. Alcoholism, substance abuse, it always increases. It's not like we can't just sit here and say, like, oh, we had no idea what we were getting into. We knew exactly what we were getting into. Um, so it, that's just very, very, very sad is, like, frankly, my main emotion upon listening to that. So I, I hope policymakers and, you know, the insiders that you're talking to, I hope people are paying attention. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, uh, death uh, of despair. They're a real thing. We had been talking about this for two months. But for whatever reason, they, they, they didn't want to acknowledge it. They figured that if you died from the if you didn't die from the virus, everything was fine. There was nothing else to take into consideration, which was an odd thing because they expected everybody that was against the lockdown to have to take responsibility for the potential deaths. They do it right now. Look, all these people, people that are out, you're going to kill my grandmother. You don't wear a mask. You're killing. Yeah, exactly. It's literally murder if you go out mm-hmm. to eat. So they didn't want to take credit for it. And it sucks because there were even epidemiologists. They told us to support you know, the, the experts or trusty expert, uh, you know, Johnny Anitas of Stanford University had long said that he was saying that deaths of despair, he, he feared for that. And he even called it out in March. And a lot of people um, got on him about it when he said this has the potential to be one of the biggest evidence fiascos ever. Yep. And that's what it's looking like yep. that it is. It's one of the biggest evidence fiasco, this bandwagon sort of uh, lockdown bandwagon effect to just completely derail your economy and you snatch people's livelihoods away from them just like that. And the fact that people didn't expect anything else to happen is very silly. And it's unfortunate because, again, you have so many people. I mean, we already knew, like you said, we had already knew 
uh, the effects of like unemployment, like the sort of um, would it be with depression, anxiety and all of that sort of coincides with it when it increases. This evidence had already been out there. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they didn't acknowledge it and even more so went forward with the lockdowns for as long as they have now, even with this evidence, is absolutely criminal. And I don't know how we stop this from happening again, but we can't allow it to happen again. I think. To go to what you said, Eric, with Bajan, I, I need his uh, piece back, uh, his peer-reviewed piece back on March 23rd. So he's one of the chief epidemiologists at Stanford. He's a professor of public health there. So I just mentioned if you actually run the data, the, and, and by the way, that CDC data they're now giving us, it's only through April. When we get further into May, what do you think the CFR and IFR is going to be? I mean, Debbie Burks, right before we started taping this, showed we've only had 21,000 new hospitalizations in America since the 1st of May. In a nation of 331 million people, that's nothing. That's nothing. All right? And so if, if you look at John I, John's piece back on March 23rd, Eric, and you do the math I was just talking about with what they're telling us and what we now know, you know what the CFR and the IFR are? Exactly what John wrote in his piece on March 23rd when he warned us against doing this and he looked at the math on coronavirus in other countries. It's exactly what he had in his piece. He called this thing over two months ago and that there's there's two the the perplexing thing to me here is there have been Sunetri Gupta is out in the media today talking about how they didn't have to do the lockdowns at all Mm -hmm. she actually came out the week after the Imperial College study on behalf of Oxford and called BS on that study ignored I've talked about this here on my own show you've heard me talk about this Josh the great thing about this that's been a mystery to me is I really thought it was going to be entities like the Blaze and Breitbart pushing back against like climate change, but it was just called Corona now. That's not what happened here. There were experts that also believe in 57 genders and we all melt from the temperature in 10 years that in Oxford, Carnegie Mellon, Rockefeller, Stanford, elite university, some of the best in the world. The guy running Sweden's uh, pushback on this is the founding infectious disease expert of the European Union. This is not some schmuck. These are some of the leading experts in the world, and they were calling BS on these models that we went by all along. When this is over, and it almost is over, two questions we have to get answers to so we don't fall for this again. And then we also can recognize a real threat in the future when it shows up. Mm-hmm. One is we have to know why were these counter experts ignored the whole time? How come only people within the, 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 the sphere of influence of Anthony Fauci were listened to? These are people from hugely accredited and elite universities. Why were they ignored? We need to know the answer to that. And the other thing we need to know the answer to is, is I'd urge your audience, go find uh, Anthony Fauci's piece on February 28th in the New England Journal of Medicine about coronavirus. It is, it is exactly right. Based on the data we now have, everything he wrote on February 28th is exactly what we now have. On March 11th, less than two weeks later, he went to Congress. This is what caused the shutdowns. He went to Congress and said this is going to be 10 times worse than the flu. What changed between February 28th and March 11th? What data did he get? Who did he talk to? We need to know the answer to this so that in the future, when we have a future threat, we can know what is something we really need to defend ourselves from and what is something that, again, is being utilized as never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. It's extraordinarily well said. I agree with literally every word Steve just said. I'll I'll just add two points. One is I I did a short Twitter thread in like late March, early April. I remember a lot lot of people were were criticizing President Trump around that time, and I was one of them, but for for a reason that's pretty different than many others. We've all come to talk about how Fauci and Burks have kind of co-opted the president, and, you know, it's it's this white-coated medical cartel. (laughs) Here's the problem, okay? 
The problem is that we do not, we the people of the United States, okay, to quote the preamble of the Constitution, we do not elect the President of the United States to make decisions based on any particular one educational or intellectual subgroup. Mm -hmm. The job of our elected leaders is to listen to the, in, to the input of the medical elites who are going to view unfolding events through the lens of medical science, going to take into account the viewpoints of economists who are going to view unfolding events through the lens of economics, and then it, it, listen to anthropologists, historians, like you name it. Listen to everyone, military strategists, Every, mental health experts, everyone who's going to have an expert on this. And then you as the, as the executive, if you are in charge of the bureaucracy, of the, of the administrative state, of the executive branch, you need to listen to all of those criteria, distill it in your head, and have the prudence and discernment to exercise judgments. And I fear that President Trump, you know, like many, I fear that he allowed Fauci and Burks and, then, and these elite doctors to just kind of cloud out everything else. So that is a huge lesson to learn mm -hmm. for next time. Yeah. The other thing, just more generally, though, and this kind of an ancient problem of human nature, not to philosophize too much. It's just, it's just the fallacy of groupthink um, and, and just kind of like letting yourself be overrun by a consensus opinion. Now, we, as American conservatives, traditionally oftentimes like to think of ourselves as kind of immune to groupthink or better than groupthink, or we think of ourselves as kind of heterodox thinkers who are like not easy, so, so easily able to kind of fall in line. Um, I think a lot of people, on our, even on our side, just kind of fell in line. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so we can't let that happen next time yep. as well. Yeah. Eric, last No, they're, they're completely correct. Both of you guys are completely correct. I mean, I want to prevent something like this happening. It sucks because I was ahead of this. I mean, some, the data was already out in March. We saw South Korea. We saw Italy. And we saw who it was impacting. We knew what, what, what um, you know, got Italy in trouble. And yet they still made this decision. And again, it's criminal because I'm looking at all of these businesses, definitely with me being in the music industry and seeing all these venues and stuff uh, closed down. People's livelihoods have literally been stripped yeah. away from them. This is a real thing. And there's no, uh, unfortunately, people are economically illiterate and they think that it's a light switch. You can just flip it back on. It comes back to the same capacity. That's not happening. There are people that are not getting on the other side of this, not just in health, but uh, when it comes to an economic standpoint. And we still, they still allowed it to happen. Man, you're completely correct. There were so many experts that were actually on the opposite side of this, but we couldn't listen to them. I mean, even with the Google and you, you, uh, you know, YouTube and Susan, uh, uh, their CEO saying for whatever reason that uh, anybody that says anything against the WHO was going to have their videos removed. I've been YouTube since I was 16 years old. Two videos looking at uh, Dr. Erickson, Dr. Uh, 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 Wikowski, Professor Wikowski, yeah. um, looking at all those guys. And both of those videos were removed because for whatever reason, we can only trust it from one source. And I'm like, that's so anti-science mm -hmm. when you consider what science actually is and everybody should be given their input so we can figure out why did you come to this completely different conclusion from this other person but they didn't even allow us to have that conversation before they just sweepingly shut everything down and again it's it's criminal i think a lot of people should be held liable for the lives that they've absolutely ruined because yeah. of this mm. Mm. all right we have got more to come including uh the nursing home scandal just continues to worsen for Andrew Cuomo. We will get into that after the break. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Keeps. So uh, if you are someone who maybe you are self-conscious about the fact that you might be losing your hair, even though it's not your fault, okay? It's the male pattern baldness gene that just runs in your family. So it's nothing to be ashamed of. But uh, here's the good news. We know that, especially if you're a man, you're not going to go to the doctor. And that's not because the doctors are closed down. That's because you men don't go to the doctor. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the sexist route, and I'm going to tell you, you don't go to the doctor. Well, you don't have to with Keeps. Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss 
products. So obviously they're generic. They're going to save you a fortune and you can do it all from the comfort of your own couch in quarantine. All you got to do is uh, answer a couple questions online. You take a couple pictures of your hair and a doctor evaluates all of it and recommends the right treatment for you. They ship it directly to your door and uh, Keeps lets you save your hair without leaving your couch. We've got you half off your first order to get you started. If you go to keeps.com slash why that is keeps dot com slash w h y keeps dot com slash why All right, we've been talking about the uh, nursing home scandal taking place in New York with Governor Andrew Cuomo this week. Uh, you know, it did surface after he changed the directive very slyly uh, to not to make sure that nursing homes were not mandated to bring in coronavirus patients. Did he make sure to send an email to himself? Yeah, I'm not sure okay, that that's yet to be uncovered right, later on when we look back at it. Okay. Uh, but uh, the AP actually, of all places, the AP did. Uh, a deep dive into just how many patients were released back into nursing homes. And they say more than 4,300 recovering coronavirus patients were sent to uh, nursing homes in New York. Just, I, I can't think of a better person for this to happen to than Andrew Cuomo. Mm. And uh, Andrew Cuomo, of course, very defensive, uh, not only blaming Trump, but also, I, I did hear him, I was kind of shocked by it, rattled by it, uh, that he'd basically just said, well, I mean, the vulnerable people, vulnerable people were going to die regardless. I mean, what, what could we do to save them? They were, if they're vulnerable, they're going to croak. Uh, really, I haven't seen very much pushback on that particular comment. But um, now, just to give some perspective, there may have been some transmission between, you know, staffers uh, in the nursing homes who did not know that they had the virus. But we still know more than 4,300 recovering patients were sent to these vulnerable nursing homes to infect the community. And yet... Uh, Steve, I know we talked about this yesterday, but yet in spite of all of that, Andrew Cuomo is going on CNN and, you know, yucking it up with his brother instead of answering real questions here. I mean, this is this is he's responsible, in my opinion, for the death of uh, of these people. It's the most moral, as I said it yesterday, it's the most morally reprehensible decision that was made was taking the the infected COVID-19 elderly that were discharged from hospitals and putting them back in nursing homes. We need to look at why this happened, though. What happened is the IHME model in particular, and I think those people ought to go to prison, oh and I really God. believe that. Mm-hmm. What they did is they're the, they created the pandemic they were warning us about. So they went to states like New York, and what IHME told Governor Cuomo is he's going to need 160,000 hospital beds. And the state that was the worst hit of our, by the pandemic at its peak only needed 19,000 hospital beds. As the great prophet Bob Uecker once said, just a bit outside. And so they, they cleared all these hospitals, including the, the COVID elderly, to make way for the stand, to sh- the Captain Tripp's patients to show. And they never did. Mm. Meanwhile, they sent these carriers into nursing homes where already the average lifespan in an American nursing homes is less than a year. People that are elderly, there's community spread of literally everything in every nursing home in America. And now you send them there with a highly infectious virus at the same time. And, 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 and we're off and running. And the hospitalizations in this country have been plummeting since the first week of April, while the death rate has been spiraling up. And it's been really, there's only, unless you're governed by a New York state politician, the only place you're really dying of coron- coronavirus in America for the last month and a half 
has been in one of our nursing homes. Mm-hmm. And it's because of this, this move that was done. It was done in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and some other places. And it was done at the bequest of these IHME models, which were not models. They were lobbyists. They've been lobbying for public policy the entire time. And so now they're going to want to hide and say, hey, we, we just are modelers and the politicians. They're going to want to do what Cuomo did with the blaming Trump for his decision. Mm-hmm. Those people ought to be arrested, in my view, because what they did is they put a stamp of approval on a policy that has killed untold thousands of Americans that didn't get protected. Yeah, Josh, I mean, to Steve's point, too, I mean, we looked at New York and it seems like we did this one size fits all solution for the entire country based upon the numbers of New York. Now we're seeing that, I, you know, Governor Cuomo kind of signed the death warrant on all of these other nursing home patients when you've got these coronavirus patients or suspected coronavirus patients coming back into the most vulnerable vulnerable population that we were supposed to be protecting. Like that was the entire purpose of all of us locking down. Yet, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo sends these people to their death. Oh, and also we use this as a model for the rest of the country. You know, I, I can't remember if it was Monday's podcast, maybe last Friday, when I kind of just went off on Andrew Cuomo and called him like a reprehensible human being mm-hmm. at like a very like foundational level. Um, I, I'm happy to reiterate that. Uh, he, <laughs> a, 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 Andrew I'm down Cuomo, for a sequel. Andrew Cuomo, he, he, he's, he's a bad person. I mean, he is a galling hypocrite at a very base level. He was the person who was telling us, rhetorically speaking, if it just takes one life, which, yeah. by the way, just to refresh everyone's memory, not a single serious thinker in the entire history of human thought, political philosopher, statesman, policy wonks. And no one has thought that. That is not a coherent thought because that's literally not how society operates. We would have one mile per hour speed limits. We would be banning uh, <laughs> we, we would be banning Diet Coke because of like, all the artificial ingredients. So that's not how we run a society. So that rhetoric is morally unfathomable in the first place. It, 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 on utilitarian grounds, it's utterly nonsensical. But even like granting that he said that and not even questioning like the morality of it or the incomprehensible nature of it, he did say that. And then for him to then do what he did was with 4,300 people who were yeah. infected in bad. How do you possibly square that circle? You save one life, but then you're spraying this disease amongst the most vulnerable population. Mm-hmm. You literally cannot square that circle. These two things are like in, uh, you cannot reconcile that. Irreconcilable tension with one another. But, the, you know, the broader point here, and what's actually really troubling me, is the quote that you read about, you know, basically saying, like, if they're, di- they're going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. How horrible is that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we in the pro-life community, you know, the pro-life issue is not just an abortion issue, of course. Right. I mean, end-of-life care is a big Absolutely. part of the pro-life yeah. argument. Euthanasia, yeah. physician-assisted suicide all these kind of um, thorny bioethical questions that I think pro-lifers are on the correct side of, of course. Um, you know, Andrew Cuomo, his father was a devout Catholic. I don't know anything about Andrew Cuomo's personal faith. I'm not going to speculate or opine. He really should know better. Um, he really should. Uh, and Mario Cuomo, even though he was a pro-choice politician, was a faithful Catholic in his personal life, or at least he professed to be. Again, I can't personally claim any such knowledge. But Andrew Cuomo really was raised in a tradition where he should have more respect for the, the dignity of human life for the elderly. He, he, he was raised in that kind of household. And I think, if I can say this, I think if Mario Cuomo were alive, he would look very, very, very poorly upon those comments. Yeah, Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this points to the error of the entire approach anyway. Um, we knew early on, no matter how much they wanted to pretend, no matter how much they wanted to isolate all of these events, look at this 25-year-old person that, that died of, of this, we knew who the most vulnerable population was, and it was the elderly. That's not a secret. Those numbers were out before we ever even locked down. We knew that even if you didn't trust the Chinese numbers, they said the same exact thing. Yet we had this one-size-fits-all approach, not just from state to state, but also from just a demographic standpoint, where it wasn't the folks like myself or, you know, young folk 
29 when all of this popped off. And I'm like, all right, we're, we're forcing me to be in prison in, in, in my house. This makes absolutely no sense when uh, when it's so, like I was looking at the Texas numbers the other day mm-hmm. um, and it said like it, within from the ages of like zero to 44. They had only done a deep dive from like for like 500 deaths and from ages like zero to I think it was actually 40 or 39. It was like only 20 deaths. And I'm sitting here looking at that. I'm like, you created a We created a policy that. Should if if you would have been dedicating said resources to protecting the most vulnerable, mm-hmm. you would have been able to see stuff like that. But because you're applying this one size fits all, like we got to force all of you guys in, we got to force every single business here. Stuff like this happens, and the most vulnerable population was set up for failure, and it was all political. And it's sad. It, it, it's very unfortunate because it comes from this side that acts as if they have this moral high ground, like they just inherited it, yeah. right? We care so much about people. We want everyone to save lives, the whole reason why we're doing it. And they don't look at things objectively. And if they did, maybe something like this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And 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 just to your point, Eric, really quickly, um, I feel like the the tell in that is that Mainstream media goes on and they not only criticize President Trump for the uh, the economy right now, but then they criticize him for the number of deaths. And I'm like, which one is it? What like what is your position? Right, right. You either need to pick one, like you pick pick the deaths. You're criticizing him for doing what you told him he had to do. Right. You either pick the deaths and criticize him for that, or pick the economy and criticize him for that. But you can't do both because to do that just kind of shows that. Th- you're not you're not being genuine, right? You're not being real. You're just trying to politicize the matter. All right, we've got more coming up, but first we want to thank our sponsor, uh, Classical Learning Test. So, um, right now, as we've just been talking about and have been talking about for what feels like about 50 years, um, no one is in school right now. And uh, no one is taking the SATs, the ACTs, anything like that. Everything's canceled. Everything with schools are canceled, even though children are, are for the most part, totally fine and uh, not targets of this disease. Um, so if you have a child, a student who has been affected, they can't take the SAT or the ACT, there is good news. There is a company that can help you with that. It's called the Classic Learning Test. They have been around for about four years, and uh, they've already been adopted by more than 200 colleges. And uh, nearly every college will now consider CLT scores, Classical Learning Test scores, as at least a supplemental component of their college application. It's shorter than the SAT and the ACT, and you can take it from your home. So... Even though those other tests are canceled, you don't have to go anywhere. You can do it with a, a remote proctor from your home. The final CLT of the year is June 20th. It's rapidly approaching. Uh, so you got to make sure that you get in, get information about it. Currently, there are less than, uh, I believe, 8,000 seats remaining. So if you have a high schooler, maybe you know one, don't miss out. Don't let the cancellation of SAT and ACTs ruin your kids' college career. You can go to cltexam.com to register for the June 20th official college entrance exam. That is cltexam.com. Go there and register, cltexam.com. All right, moving on to 2020 and uh, Joe Biden. He never... He never disappoints these days. There's always some sort of gaffe in the news uh, during the week to go over. So Joe Biden was on uh, with Charlemagne 
I, do I have to call him Charlemagne? I, mean, I just call, I, no, I just call him Charlemagne. Okay, I, <laughs> he, that's what his I guess his whole his yeah, full title is, yeah. but I'm not going to call him that. So Charlemagne, a radio host, uh, was talking with Joe Biden, and a couple comments to get into that Joe Biden made that were maybe a little bit. Uh, uh, questionable. One was what he said about people in jail. Um, he said people in jail are victims of abuse. This is what they have in common. Okay, they are victim of of abuse. They lack job skills, and um, also none of them can read. Which I I don't know. I think is kind of insulting. I'll see what you guys think. Listen, only a couple things everybody has in common in jail. One is. They were the victims of abuse of their kids were, or, their, or, their, or, their, or their mother was. Number two, can't read. Number three, they don't have any job skills. They were in a position where they didn't get a chance. Why does it so make sense? Why did I come along yeah. and write the first act that said, when you get out of prison, you don't just get a notion where you get 25 bucks and a bus ticket. You end up under the bridge. Now, this was, of course, uh, he said, only a couple things everybody has in common in jail. Um, and I did, I, I did like, it was not lost on me, that he said, one is they were the victims of abuse, or their kids were, or their mother was, or this one guy down the street that they knew was also a victim of abuse, kind of all-encompassing there, Joe. But uh, he's getting more pushback, of course, on uh, what he said later when he, he was trying to end the, the conversation early, I guess he had an aide come on and say, all right, we got to go. And uh, Charlemagne said, I, hey, hold on, we're not done yet. Uh, you, you can't cut us off. You can't cut the black media off like that. And uh, this is how that exchange looked. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. Cause it's I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions you got more questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see Take you. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. Um, Eric, I would hate for us to white-splain anything to you, so I'm going to let you go ahead and take this one first. Yeah, like that, what he said... And I'd done a video on this. And what he said is what I believe not only his party members, black or white, actually believe, but that's how they see black folk is you are not an authentic black person if you don't support them. And it, it isn't about just supporting, like, say, the opposing candidate, be it in Donald Trump. It's not just that. It's about not being a leftist or not being a a Democrat in this in, in this day and age. And that's just the reality of the situation. Now, on the other side, you can be upset at them all, all, all you want. I mean, unfortunately, they've shown them that when you look at the only voting demographic that votes 90 percent for for one particular party, there's no other demographic that does that. Um, it gives some sort of validity to that approach, but they think they inherit your vote. They think they inherit uh, blackness. This is a white old white man lecturing dudes and saying that you ain't black. <laughs> and I also took issue with what Charlemagne said, and this is where I, I honestly get pushback. 
because it's like, what are you going to do for me? I think that approach in yeah. itself is a is a self-defeating approach, unfortunately, that you're looking to these politicians to move your world for you, be a Democrat or Republican, which is why I never tell someone to go support the the opposing side as a oh Well, you've been supporting Democrats. We'll go support. the No, I think they are crooks. But the. But the reality is that they're not going to move your world. They're not going to move your community. You're not going to see growth there looking to them to save, you know, save you. And that, unfortunately, is the approach uh, that they have when it comes to politics is that hard. Now everybody's playing this. So I saw, you know, P. Diddy talking about this. So we're withholding our vote because we want to see what you're going to do for it. They're not going to do anything for you. Mm-hmm. Un- unfortunately, they get they, they campaign loudly that they're going to do something for you. And then when it's all said and done, you get absolutely nothing out of it. But it's also detrimental that you look for them to do something Mm -hmm. in the first place, because that's time, that's resources, that's attention that you should be spending on trying to better your own community. But that approach in terms of what he said, that's what I've heard from just me being a a black. I'm an anarcho-capitalist, man. I don't like I'm, I'm not political in that sense. You've never seen me say uh, or go campaign for anybody on any blue, red, even gold, you know, Libertarian Party. You don't you never see me do that. But even they say stuff like that to me in the event that I oppose their candidate. It's right. that you are somehow not an authentic black person. And yeah, I mean, the fact that these old, again, as old white folk, just because they have a D next to their name, they think they can lecture black folks on that. And it's in- insane. But this is just how they've been forever. This isn't really anything new. Yeah. All right. Let's go this way around the table, Josh. So Biden's remarks at the end there, they're not just cringeworthy. They're not just disgusting. Um, I would say they're racist. By literal definition, By literal definition, they are, they, by dictionary definition, they are racist. Mm-hmm. Because what you are doing is you are taking an entire community of people and painting with the broadest brush possible and saying, if you don't, if you don't identify with my partisan identity, mm-hmm. then you are a traitor to your race. And, you know, I, I, as someone who's Jewish, I hear this all the time. It's not as bad as for the black community, but, like, we do hear this like, a decent amount in the Jewish community, too, of course. Um, and it's it's horrible. It's here, there, and everywhere terrible. We are, you human beings are unique people. Individuals. We are very complex people. We all come from different experiences. Mm-hmm. We have formative experiences of our own, different values. Uh, we come to our own conclusions. And, and, and it is just inherently bigoted to look at the entire class of people. But that's how the left operates. It is, it is literally the mentality. It is the multiculturalist identity politics mentality. But, you know, this just, it kind of just hits home for me even like a little more personally. That's personally for you, Eric. But, you know, I clerked here in the, on the U.S. Court of Appeals of the Fifth Circuit for Judge Jim Ho, who clerked for Clarence Thomas. Um, I've had other legal mentors who clerked for Clarence Thomas. I've had close law school friends who clerked for Clarence Thomas. I have always thought that Clarence Thomas is the single greatest living American. I've said that time and time again, and I will say that until he dies, frankly. Um, there's a phenomenal new documentary ad that aired on, aired on PBS earlier this week about Clarence Thomas. I saw it in theater here. And, you know, it's, he's very candid about this. Justice Thomas goes on and on talking about how he's been called everything you, you can possibly imagine. Uncle Tom, a traitor to the black people. But you know what Clarence Thomas says in this documentary that is so powerful? He grew up in the Jim Crow South. He grew up in Pinpoint, Georgia. He didn't even speak English growing up, okay? He was dirt poor. He faced ridiculous discrimination. And he has a quote uh, it's like in the second half of the film, if I recall, t- and he, 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 during, like the, during like all the Anita Hill stuff with Joe Biden on the day, t- you know, going off against natural law, whatever the heck Joe Biden was trying to say. Um, and Clarence Thomas is talking about and they, the camera shifts to him. And he says, you know what? 
I grew up in the Jim Crow South, and I saw, like, the Klansmen in their hoods and the pickup trucks, but I didn't know bigotry and discrimination until I met the modern-day urban white liberal. Mm. Um, it's just, like, an incredibly mm. powerful thing to say. Um, and that's what I thought we heard there from Joe Biden. Very quick, because I know we need to move on, but just on the, the prisoners can't read thing, what utter nonsense. Um, I'm not going I, 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 to get into details, but I, I had, like, a semi-private tour of a federal prison within the last two and a half, three years. There was a wonderful library there. And, you know, when I was a federal law clerk, we dealt with habeas petitions from prisoners who generally, they generally, they oftentimes represent themselves pro se, which means that they're their own lawyers. They handwrite them. You know how they they learn how to do that? They go to the prison library to do their own research and figure out how to do like the formal motion. So it's factually just incorrect on that point as well. Yeah. Steve. It's the most racist thing I've ever seen a presidential candidate say in real time. It's, it, I mean, if you would have told me, if if I had not known the clip existed and you would have told me, hey, we're going to start off with a quote from George Wallace. I'd have totally bought it, yeah. okay? Um, I, I just wasn't alive when, when, when he was uh, pronouncing segregation forever. It, it's, it, it, it really summarizes 32 years of what conservative media has tried to point out mm-hmm. is really behind the identity politic of, of the left. Um, I, I think that when you, when you look at, it's a eulogy really for race baiting in America. Here we have a near 80-year-old white male with dementia mm-hmm. who's a friend of segregationists yeah. lecturing a black man on the fact that he is the benchmark for who is black and who is not. And that's, that's re- it's, it's, it's so profoundly ridiculous, but it really is the logical conclusion of what they have said to that community yeah. the entire, all, for, for this entire time. Yeah. And, and, it ultimately, what I've learned, I, I've been involved in, in my political activism. One of the first things I did is work with a, a friend of mine. My last book I was dedicated to him, and I hate to say he was my one black friend. He wasn't my one black friend. <laughs> he was black, right? But we worked on racial reconciliation within the church. That the reality is because of this identity politic that we're talking about, we just simply could not get other black believers to vote for a Republican. It's just never going to happen. No matter what he stood for, what he said, just that barrier could not be breached. So we didn't try. We tried to find issues that we morally agreed on mm-hmm. where they could then go to their politicians while we went to ours and, and find ways to, to cooperate uh, with, with one another. So I've had a, I've had a lot of experience with, with this kind of conversation. And I just don't believe from the right it's a winnable conversation for us. I think the, the, the fear is, and I think you saw this with Kanye West, that it w- once he detached himself from this mindset, the pressure that will then instantly become, join the Republican group instead and become an instant spokesperson for them instead. Trade one mask, be one side's mascot and then the other. What I, what I saw engaging that community, and you could speak to this better than me, is the great fear is if I say no to this and admit with the truth of what they've been telling me all these years, then you guys are just going to use me instead. And I think what we've really got to do is, is if we really want to reach these people, show that we're interested in them like you just said, individuals. Yeah. We're not interested in you. We don't need to expand our black voting base. All right. We're interested in people made in the image of God who have, who, who want, who have, if you look at demographics, I've done a lot of this polling in my career. You're going to find a lot more socially conservative people in black and brown communities than you're going to find in white suburbs. That's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're going to have a lot more in common on a lot of these base moral issues with people that don't look like us than a lot of the people who do. 
But how do we reach those people? If, if, if we want to go to them and say, the end game is to have you join our team instead and, and not be treated like an individual, they're just going to stay on the one that, with the team that they have. And I think that where we could use conversations like this is, 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 is it's constructive in showing these people really don't care about you. Yeah. They, they care about using you. And, and you know who, who pointed this out like 15 years ago, Tavis Smiley, when he was still on BET, mm-hmm. went on a long rant. Um, and and I, I remember watching it thinking, this is how I feel about the Republican Party as a white evangelical. Yeah. You guys really just don't care about us. You're just, we're, we're here to be a voting block. You heard us out of our pews. And then we're, to be, we're at the kitty table once you, once you guys win the election. He was saying the exact same thing about blacks in the Democratic Party that I've said for years about Republicans and white evangelicals. There's a lot in common there, but I think what we've got to learn to do is not, the, the offer is not leave that scam and then join up with our identity politic team instead. instead leave that scam and you know what, be an American and just make up your own damn mind. Yep. Yeah. All right, all good points at the table. We got to take a quick break. We'll be back. All right, so uh, more on 2020. Apparently, according to a new report, Amy Klobuchar could be Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. The uh, campaign has asked her to undergo rigorous vetting before potentially joining his ticket. Steve, your quick thoughts on uh, that. Uh, Nice woman. Yeah. Very likable. Good family story. I, I don't know what she adds to his ticket. And the reality is, whoever his running mate is, is going to be the de facto nominee in the minds of every already not committed Democratic voter. They're really voting for that person, knowing that he cannot do this job. And so you're talking about someone whose claim to fame was finishing, what, a distant third or fourth in my home state of Iowa. If people thought she was a viable presidential nominee, they would have made her that when she ran the first time. Yeah, Josh. So I'm not sure what she tangibly brings. I mean, like, I'm thinking of like her in like a vice presidential debate with Mike Pence. I mean, that doesn't sound like a particularly exciting debate if I'm the Democrat. Like, how do I get excited for that, honestly? Um, I guess what they're thinking, though, I mean, she has like Midwestern appeal, right? I mean, Minnesota went for Hillary by less than 1% or something like that, right? Barely over 1%. Mm-hmm. Minnesota hadn't gone blue, obviously, you know, since Mondale in 84. Or sorry, sorry, hadn't gone, or it's been blue for a very long time, is what I'm trying to say here. So they're trying to secure Minnesota. They're thinking that she'll play well across Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Iowa, et cetera. Um, whether it will do that or not, I don't know. It's hard to get excited really for a Democrat. I mean, like, what, what about her is possibly exciting, you know? Right, Eric. Yeah, I don't know what she really introduces that's going to get anybody stoked about it. I have no idea where they're going with it, but, you know, it's not Stacey Abrams. I, well, <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Uh, I do, well, I do wonder, though, if they're trying Stacey to... Stacey Abrams hate the game, not the player, man. <laughs> One of the greatest grips I've true. ever seen. It's yes. true, it's true. But I do wonder if they're just trying to, uh, they're realizing that their whole doubling down on crazy is not going to work yeah. and they're like well she, I can tell you I saw her up close and personal for a year she's very likable very yeah. personable and she is a rarity in their field she does come across as normal like someone you thought you could maybe live next door to right yeah alright back in a minute I mean that uh, to me that has to be their only play so when you see her in person she's actually All right. Yesterday's poll, which Cuomo brother has done more damage to America? Andrew won this one at 64 percent almost. Uh, Fredo, 
only got the 36%. So, uh, sorry, Fredo, you did not win this poll. Uh, all right, today's poll, which adjective most correctly describes Joe Biden? I, I, I really need to start reading these before because this is my first time seeing it, and I'm like, oh boy. All right, here we go. Which adjective most correctly describes Joe Biden? Creepy, racist, corrupt, or senile? <laughs> I don't know how you. I don't know how you pick America. Them all. <laughs> pick your pick your poison. <laughs> right. I, I. What I need is an all of all, the above. Yeah, all the above, right? All of the above. How are you supposed to pick from those things? I don't know, Eric. I'm going with senile. Senile. Yeah, that's the one that that really it, it kind of embodies everything else too. There. Mm, well, that's well. Maybe In not a the sense. Race, maybe not the racist. Well, one. no, that's true. But it, I guess it comes <laughs> more to life. He's been doing that for a long yeah, time. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Good point. <laughs> Josh. Yeah, I think senile is the obvious one, but I mean, after that clip earlier, I mean, if I were taking this poll right this second, I would say racist. I was surprised Frisky didn't make the list. I mean, he's out there talking about economic intercourse and stuff all the time. Isn't that so, bizarre? Yes. Can it, we ju- can we just take a moment though to appreciate that he couldn't stop saying the word intercourse right after he got well, when accused this is done, of sexual? Him, after he loses him and Bob Dole will do Viagra ads together. <laughs> oh right? man! Time for more intercourse to go on out there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stick with senile. I think that's the obvious play. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys can let us know if you can pick. I don't know if you can pick uh, between these, but let us know what you think, which adjective most correctly describes Joe Biden. Creepy, racist, corrupt, or senile. You can, of course, go to the Blaze's Twitter. That is at the Blaze. By the way, again, I, I said this yesterday, but for those of you who uh, were asking, I guess there was some confusion on where the poll is, which I was shocked by because I was like, oh, you guys really want to vote in this poll so much that you're asking me on social media where the darn poll is. OK, I'm telling you, it's at the Blaze. So you can go there to vote. Uh, and we're not going to be here on Monday. We're actually getting a day off and I'm really excited about it. So we will see you on Tuesday. Guys, thanks for being here. Sure. 